Today from College Hill above Easton, Pennsylvania in London, England, welcome to the Tim Danahy Show here at Danahy.com, and we're a proud member of the Coffee Party USA. And many of us have a, a fondness for history. I, my, my son Edward just told me he's going to college to, to study to be a history teacher. And we enjoy uh, stories of uh, George Washington or Abraham Lincoln and, and other great Americans, and we appreciate how history often seems to repeat itself, and then we even question why we never seem to learn from prior American history. But that's kind of where it stops. Uh, For many Americans, history seems to to literally and figuratively uh, fall off the map when we leave our 50 states. And and that's unfortunate because uh, world history has many great and notorious figures uh, from whom we might learn and uh, apply to our circumstances. And, you know, uh, events around the world, some of them like may seem minor, uh, but they can lead to major developments in America. And you can use World War One as an example, uh, where, where the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand was received fairly routinely in Austria. But but his assassination removed the last check on the on an Austrian general's a power, and it was a general who sought to impress a married woman, so he invaded Serbia for what he thought would be a, a one or two week victory. And that impacts us here in America. But even that's just European history, and the world is filled with thousands of years of powerful and noble and and even loathsome figures that impact our lives today. Uh, Genghis Khan, for example, is related about one in, I believe, one in seven people in the world in some distant manner. And another person with tremendous global impact in history is a man named Saladin. And he was a Muslim sultan who, uh, for a time, united many Islamic people to fight the Crusaders in the late 1100s. And he's a fascinating story. And we have the author of a new book, Saladin, the sultan who vanquished the Crusaders and built an Islamic empire. John Mann with us. John, welcome to the Tim Danahy Show. Uh, thanks, Tim. Good to be there. Well, it, it's a delight to have you here. As, as I said off air, that uh, whenever I saw this book show up in the uh, spring releases, uh, it was a book I said I had to get uh, this author on the show, and uh, DeCapo Press and you are kind enough to accommodate that wish. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Yes, and, and but, uh, uh, John, what, what I might ask... Um, I'm kind of skipping to the end of the book by, by stating that Saladin has uh, pretty important lessons for for leadership and, and legacy, even for today, doesn't he? He has a tremendous legacy today. Um, I, the surprising thing to me was that he's admired universally, not just by um, Arabs. Um, that came slightly later after his death, but also... Um, by the Christians he was supposedly opposing. Well, the, he, he kind of went through a... Um, uh, it, it was strange because uh, he, he used what you called hard and soft power. And can you tell me what that means and also how that affects his legacy uh, today? Well, I think you would call hard power basically violence and war. Soft power would be persuasion. Um, The remarkable thing about Saladin was that he seemed to be pretty good at both. He uh, was, um, his his major aim in life was to 
drive out the Crusaders um, from from the Middle East. The Crusaders having been there in um, what is today Israel, Lebanon, Syria for uh, for a century, um, and Jerusalem, of course. And uh, the only way to get rid of them would be to oppose by force. But in order to uh, to gather the forces to do that, he had to uh, somehow unite um, the divided Islamic world. It was divided between cities, between um, empires, and of course, as we know today, between um, the two major sects of the religion, Shia and, and Sunni. And to do that, he needed what we would call soft power, that is persuasion. Um, certainly, he, he fought sometimes um, his own uh, Arabic um, brothers, but he knew that in order to unify them, which he would have to do eventually, he could not antagonize too much. There had to be a degree of... Um, of understanding and of persuasion involved. And that was what he used to uh, unify the central part of Islam in order to uh, oppose the Christians. Well, I, I kind of detected a, a, a sort of um, diplomatic similarity to even, I mentioned Genghis Khan, because Genghis Khan said, uh, you know, join us and be happy or... Uh, oppose us and, and suffer a crushing defeat. Uh, Saladin seemed to have that same attitude where he certainly gave um, his opponents the opportunity to just say, well, come on, let's work together on this. And and he was not punitive at all. Well, to a great degree anyway. Yes, I think I mean, the even more remarkable thing about Saladin was that he was generous, even to his most extreme opponents, with uh, a couple of notorious exceptions. Um, so that the Christians had been there quite a long time uh, and had w- in many ways worked their way, worked their way into Middle Eastern society. Um, so uh, he had a long-term problem, which is not just to do with um, uh, opposing in a, uh, in a, in a warlike way. Um, and there were friendships, there was diplomacy between the two sides, and he was... Uh, capable of acting with remarkable generosity to his most extreme opponents um, on several occasions. Well, what I loved about your book, uh, uh, Saladin, the Sultan Who Vanquished the Crusaders and Built an Islamic Empire, was the wonderful description of the time in which Saladin lived, uh, Damascus being a uh, a beautiful capital, and, and describing... You know, so often today, uh, John, we, we we think that, okay, uh, this is the border of a nation. But truthfully, it seemed to be um, city-centric. Um, and, and so Saladin really didn't have national borders. He had to develop alliances with, uh, suppose you were in Chicago and needed to, be- to develop an alliance with, say, um, Cleveland or Detroit. He, he seemed to have that type of... Uh, environment uh, with, within the work? Yes, there were uh, a number of divisions, um, Sunni, Sunni and Shia, um, but also the, uh, the, the, there was tension with um, the, uh, the, the main ruler in Baghdad, uh, and um, there were, of course, no nations such as we know them today. And the, it, it was um, un, under those 
grand divisions. There were the, the major divisions were into cities and regions, and it demanded a great deal of diplomacy in order to unite them because every area had its own leader, and that leader had his uh, uh, usually his, in fact, always his, not hers, um, own ambitions, and that had to be both defeated and won over. Well, we we talk of all of these city-states and different peoples and different cultures, different uh, sects of Islam, and it required a lot of diplomacy. And then I tie it back to what we were saying about leadership and the qualities it took to be a leader, and your book defined that having a certain sense of security from whatever the source um, and uh, is important for a person to develop that quality of leadership. And Saladin's style may have developed from um, having a strong family and a good mentor. He had a pretty good start, I have to say, because his father was employed uh, by the uh, great um, um, Muslim leader, Nur al-Din, um, in uh, Damascus, uh, who had taken on the task of jihad, of holy war against the Christians. So um, there was a, a, a very good start, and he had an even better start because his his father was uh, employed by Nur al-Din at, at pretty high level, and he himself had an opportunity uh, to establish a base in Egypt. And Egypt became his um, his headquarters, from which he was able to... Uh, um, really not in, not so much invade, but move back into Syria um, with uh, a, a, an over, a pretty overwhelming force and win control of both Egypt and Syria. And that was basically the, the, I, the um, basis for the, the, the union of these two areas, which NASA looked back to in the 1950s and uh, which then collapsed soon afterwards back into the sort of uh, um, rivalries that we're used to today. Perhaps uh, if we could just describe what these um, crusades were and why it was important for a man like Saladin to come onto the scene. Yes, not just important for Saladin, important um, for politics today. Um, the Christians came from Europe. Um, Pope decided to, uh, in a very xenophobic way, to ex export some of the problems that faced Europe at the time. And the idea was to go and re-seize Jerusalem back from the Muslims. Uh, that, and the, the big first crusade happened in 1098 with tremendous violence and an extreme um, xenophobia. Basically, the Christians thought that all Muslim, in fact, the whole the whole Middle East was fair game, and that they could go in and um, and seize whatever they liked, uh, and that they were thereby doing God's work. At least that was the justification. Um, so that when Jerusalem fell in 1098, there was a great deal of bloodshed, uh, violence, and uh, and uh, this really governed um, Muslim attitudes from then on. And it was something which Saladin himself was extremely well aware of when he re-seized Jerusalem in uh, 1187. And he made a very specific policy of 
doing it peacefully in order to contrast um, Islam, the supposed peaceful aspect of Islam, with the extreme violence that had characterized the First Crusade. Um, there were, of course, many other crusades, eight in all, um, which became decreasingly successful. Um, after the First Crusade, the Christians had set up uh, several little mini-estates uh, across the Middle East, mainly on the coast, from southern Turkey down almost to the borders of Egypt. And that was what, had, that was what Saladin turned against. That was what he had to destroy. And in the process of destroying them, I, I, I tell you what, before I go into the next question, John, if, if we could, let me break for a commercial. We'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about uh, this a little bit. And we, and we need to talk about uh, the gentleman, Reynald. I believe that's the pronunciation. Uh, we're talking with John Mann, who is the author of the new book, Saladin, the Sultan who van- vanquished the Crusaders and built an Islamic empire. And you're listening to him here on the Tim Danny Show. We'll be right back. The truth. Whether you're right or you're wrong We're gonna know what you've done We're gonna see where you belong In the end You can't bargain with the truth So whether you're black or you're white We're gonna know who's right We're gonna see you in the light In the end You preserve a nation one community at a time With shared knowledge and an informed electorate With many voices speaking with civility and integrity And we will preserve our nation when we participate, we learn, we discuss, we vote. We are the Coffee Party USA. Join us today. CoffeePartyUSA.com On every little thing you do You better know it's coming back to you You can't bargain with the truth as one day you're going to die and good's going high. Forgiveness, a second chance. It's hard for anybody, but imagine how hard it is for someone who's spent time in America's prison system. Our public and private prisons have more inmates than the rest of the world combined. And when they're done serving their time, what then? The Second Chance Center helps transition lives to success and fulfillment. They prepare men and women to enter the job market with new skills. They help former inmates to improve communication, learn conflict resolution, and be better parents. The Second Chance Center, teaching skills to those who commit and work to be welcomed back in our communities. Donate now, today, at sccolorado.org. And evil's going down in the end. Welcome to this episode of Danahy.com's American History Minutes, one-minute stories about little-known events, and here's today's story. The Citicorp Tower in New York was built in 1977. In 1978, the tower's engineer received a call from a college student in New Jersey. The student examined the tower's design as a class project and said the building would topple under high winds. The engineer calmed the student, but he was curious and double-checked. He discovered the building could fall over if exposed to five minutes of 70-mile winds, a mild hurricane, and hurricane season was approaching. He designed a fix, but only three entities knew, the Red Cross, the National Weather Service, and the Mayor's Office. The Red Cross calculated if the Citicorp Tower fell, 156 blocks in Manhattan would be affected. 
Repairs began every night and were cleaned by 4 a.m. But welders were lighting the skyline, and the New York Times called to ask why. When the engineer returned the call, the Times answering machine said they'd gone on strike. The secret was safe. However, on September 1st, Hurricane Ella was approaching. Should they evacuate? Then mysteriously, it veered out to sea. The repairs were completed. Evacuation Plan 828 was never used, thanks to a college student. This story has been provided by the Tim Danahy Show. Please like us on Facebook at Tim Danahy Show and follow us on Twitter at hashtag Tim Danahy Show. And thank you for listening at Danahy.com. You can't bargain with the truth. It's whether you're old or young. We're going to see what you've done. There'll be nowhere else to run in the end. You can't bargain with the truth. Whether you're rich or you're poor You're gonna meet at the same door You're gonna know the real score in the end Welcome back to the Tim Danahy Show here at Danahy.com and it's just a, a privilege to be talking with author John Mann about his new book, Saladin, The Sultan Who Vanquished the Crusaders and Built an Islamic Empire. And you can catch this book. I, I've seen it in any number of bookstores. I've seen it in... Uh, uh, outside of Philadelphia, I've seen it in New Jersey. Um, uh, every place I travel, you go to a bookstore and you'll see the imposing uh, 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 visage, I guess is the term, uh, uh, the, the, the sculpture of Saladin in armor. And it's a, a, quite a haunting cover. And it's, it's a fantastic book. I think that uh, you'll enjoy it if you appreciate history. Uh, John, uh, we were well, talking that's, that's terrific news. And, and and John, we were talking about uh, the the Crusades, and the, there were several of them, and and what they were all about. But throughout um, uh, Saladin's life, uh, his life in leadership, uh, in leading his armies, and so forth, um, there was one person who uh, brought Saladin to oath twice, and that is a guy named Reynald. Who is he? Oh, Reynald, Reynald of Chatillon, he's the, um, the, the bad boy of this whole story. He came to the Middle East um, uh, in order, really, to seek loot. Um, but he was also extremely ambitious. And uh, along the way, he managed to marry the, uh, one of the leading ladies of the day uh, and take over her castle, which was Karak in what is now South Jordan. It dominates the route down to uh, the Gulf of Aqaba. Um, and he was notorious for, um, for his ambition uh, for, and for his uh, ability to spread havoc wherever he went and, to, and crucially, to break promises so that Saladin eventually so lost patience with him that he swore to kill him with his own hands. And uh, this was he was eventually able to do after the great battle that he won against the Christians of, uh, called Hattin, um, which is uh, a bit west of the Sea of Galilee, um, in 1187, in the summer of 1187, when the Christian army made um, a couple of bad strategic errors and allowed themselves to be cut off from the water supply and uh, then to be uh, slaughtered by Saladin's uh, army. One of the captors was Reynald of Chatillon. Another was the, um, the the king of Jerusalem. And 
Saladin treated the king pretty well, um, but Reynald, he had promised to kill, and he did so by beheading him personally with his own sword, uh, and um, and thereby thereby um, getting the revenge that he promised. Well, I thought it was interesting. The, the once, uh, uh, please help me with the name. Uh, the the king of Jerusalem was Guy. Uh, uh, what was the last name? Um, Sorry. Uh, the 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 king of uh, of Jerusalem was uh, his first name was Guy or Guy. And and Saladin, whenever he had both uh, the king and Reynald um, uh, in his tent after they had been captured, you know, he offered. You know, it, I, I thought it was fascinating how you captured the um, how can I put it the, the protocols where if yes. water was. Ice water was offered to someone. Um, you know, it, it would be it would be a clue that that person will be favored to survive. But then, when the king yes. shared the water with uh, Reynald, it breached a protocol. And, but even despite twice swearing an oath against um, uh, Reynald and wanting to to uh, kill him with his own hands. Uh, Saladin still had enough mercy in him that that Reynald had a chance up to that last moment. He did, but he was a very arrogant man, and uh, he was certainly not going to kowtow to um, to, to Saladin. Um, and so that that slight mistake by the king of offering water to Reynald, and uh, then Saladin said, "I did not do that. I didn't. I didn't offer you the water. This was a, a mistake." And Reynald then came back. Uh, at, at him, and um, uh, uh, basically um, uh, refused to um, acknowledge his uh, uh, that, that, that he was a captive and that Saladin was his master. And this was the excuse that Saladin needed to um, behead him. And, and then um, there was another character that, that uh, John, I suspect you could write a book about this too, and and that would be uh, Conrad and his defense of the uh, seaport or sea coastal town of Tyre. Um, I thought that was interesting too because ultimately that led to um, Saladin's defeat and uh, for the short-term history of that time, uh, perhaps a, a small uh, a stain on his reputation. Yes, there was. Uh, there, there was a. There, this was a time of considerable um, unrest, to say the least. And Conrad himself was uh, uh, was murdered in strange circumstances. I think the what what then followed was the Third Crusade, with uh, Richard II coming in, and um, a famous incident in which Saladin himself uh, showed, uh, was able to show generosity even to his great opponent, Richard, when in battle Richard's horse was seen to uh, fall and Saladin sent him in um, a new horse so that the, he, he said that kings should not be uh, allowed to fall off their horse without um, some sort of help. They should, they should go on living as heroes. And he, was, uh, and he sent a, a new horse to Richard. Um, in order that he would have a, 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 an equal opponent. And, of course, Richard then 
was himself was defeated by um, by Saladin and uh, well, famously um, had to flee and eventually um, was captured and ransomed. But um, meanwhile, um, Saladin had retaken Jerusalem uh, and had not uh, was not able in the end to to uh, defeat the Christians to such an extent that they were expelled from the, from the Middle East. So, in a sense, Saladin did not achieve his full aim in life, which was to um, wage jihad to the to uh, to an extreme and, uh, and 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 kick the Christians out of uh, totally out of the Middle East. That task was finally completed by the Egyptians um, several decades after Saladin's death. And we're looking at back at Islam, and I think it's important, John, just to mention that you know Islam at one time, you know, uh, had hospitals and and uh, stressed education and water systems and libraries, and and really it it was a um, uh, a breath of fresh air in in, in the region, uh, I believe. Would that be correct? Um, it was yes. He was uh, a scholar himself. He encouraged scholarship. He was, um, of, of course, a, a Muslim, but he was a very uh, scholastic one. He was always asking questions. He relied very much on the scholars around him. I think there's one other aspect of his life which is um, which marks his leadership, and that is that he was not the sort of leader to have what we would now call. Um, uh, a Swiss bank account. He did not profit from his victories and, in fact, ended up um, uh, as poor as the people around him. And it, it, this austerity is something which unites him with uh, with other great leaders throughout history. That the, It was the purpose that dominated his life, not his um, ambitions for his, on, his, on his own account or for his family. He didn't have vast estates. He had no possessions. He was often on campaign. He risked death to be with his men. And this was something that marked him as pretty extraordinary. As, as I recall reading, uh, when he died, they had trouble finding a, uh, a suitable uh, gown for him to be, in which to be buried. Um, but, yes. Uh, John, just a, a fabulous book. I want to commend you for, for the research on it, which had to be... Um, I, I hate to say excruciating, but for me it would have been. For you, it was obviously a passion, and that passion came through in such a wonderful book, a great story, and not only great, but really it's important uh, in the context of today whenever uh, one could hope that perhaps another Saladin could someday rise and, and unite and try to bring peace to an Islamic world. Yes, I'm afraid that every day that uh, that passes, that hope seems to vanish, and it would be it's extremely hard to imagine somebody as Saladin's um, skill and character emerging in present circumstances. And, and, and that's the world's loss. But at least we can learn the lesson from him. Uh, the book is Saladin, the Sultan Who Vanquished the Crusaders and Built an Islamic Empire. The author is John Mann. You can see it in bookstores everywhere. I strongly encourage you to take a look at it and enjoy it like I did. John, thank you so much for coming on the Tim Danahy Show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And if you want to help your fellow man, you better start with what's in 
your hand You can't bargain with the truth Cause whether you're right or you're wrong We're gonna know what you've done We're gonna see where you belong in the end If the world you chose No further than your nose Will be where the doors will close In the end You can't bargain with the truth Cause for those who would deceive There'll be no reprieve There'll be no time to believe In the end For every little thing you do You better know it's coming back to you You can't bargain with the truth Cause one day you're gonna die And good's going high And evil's going down in the end 